One of the unique facets of the book uh, was how you have woven different aspects of Chinese culture, such as bookbinding and typography and uh, kintsugi into uh, spiritual reflections. Why specifically was it important for you to give voice to this culture as part of this book? Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Caroline Bell, Trip Hawthorne, Cindy Foldenlore, Bill Johnson, Carson Fushi, Ralph Stocks, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Grump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Bonnie Gray. She is an author penning books such as Whisper of Rest and Finding Spiritual White Spaces. She contributes to Relevant and Christianity Today. Additionally, she is a retreat speaker. Bonnie, thank you for joining the conversation. Andy, it's so good to talk to you. Have a virtual cup of coffee. Well, uh, you know, we're going to jump into your latest book here momentarily, um, but I wonder outside of the credentials that I was just, uh, you know, introducing you with, um, what would you want people to know about who you are and, and your sense of calling? Well, I would say that one of the reasons why I was motivated to write this book is that there's so much division right now that's happening in our country and in the world on so many different levels, whether it's cultural socioeconomical. And I am a daughter of a male order bride from Hong Kong and a father who is a, was a busboy in a noodle shop. And I just want to share that God is real. And that if someone like me can grow up in a dysfunctional home and family, and yet be able to just share how God has made brokenness into beauty I mean, I think that the stories is what is going to encourage us during this time of division, that what we have in common is how God has brought us from broken places into beautiful places. And it doesn't necessarily mean it looks perfect. So it's a long answer to maybe a simple question, but the reason why I'm so excited that you're having me here, I just feel so honored that I can have the opportunity God's giving me opportunity to love words, to love his word, to love writing and to share. I'm one of the people that maybe don't have a voice, you know, and I just want to say that everybody's story is important and that God is still working even when things look chaotic. 
So I just, as many opportunities I can get, that is what I want to say. And so I have no shame to say, you know, my upbringing and because it shows how God is at work and is alive. Well, we're going to do a deep dive into the book here in a second, you know, because so much of it is your life story. Um, but I wonder, you know, with you leading retreats and things like that, I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times, but in what ways kind of uh, were you impacted by the pandemic and how have you pivoted um, two years into this thing uh, to be able to continue to live into that sense of calling for that particular area of your life? Well, you know, for most of my life, um, I have been a Bible teacher that's been focused on teaching people training people how to teach the Bible, how to study and, you know, train the trainer. A lot of that has a lot of my ministry calling has been focused on that. But since the pandemic has happened, I've shifted more into sharing stories because I think that that's what I feel people connect with. And it's from there, then people want to know, okay, how did God show up in your life? So in terms of, in terms of my ministry calling, in terms of retreat leader, um, you know, a lot of it was more focused on teaching, but now I feel like I lead more with stories and that is where people, I sense they can exhale. They're like, okay, I am not the only one who is struggling. Now let's talk about what does that look like in your life? So I feel like that, that is really the the unintended gift of the pandemic is that we're all sharing our stories. And this is how we're able to say, you know, open doors where people previously have closed them. I think it's sometimes easier for people to talk about what they know rather than what they're experiencing. So in terms of calling, I feel like that's what God has shifted me towards during the pandemic. We have a, a book that came out um, at the end of last year, Sweet Like Jasmine. This book is about your personal journey into your unique experience growing up in San Francisco's Chinatown uh, with a single mother and discovering more about your father that abandoned you. Um, you wrote, it's funny, um, the things your brain chooses to keep in the memory banks from childhood. So many random pieces left over. Right now, the memories I've carried, like missing puzzle pieces, seem random, randomly happy, and randomly sad. Um, so much of this book is, is about loneliness. So first, I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper into what you mean by loneliness and how you've experienced it. Well, it's interesting that the timing of this book wasn't planned. I had wanted to write this book, Andy, for 10 years. 10 years ago, I already started to want to write this book. But at that time, um, the publishing industry and agents at the time I was talking to exploring this topic, they said there's no market for Asian American stories of faith. Now, as people of faith, we know that that's not true. God just speaks through every culture. The gospel shines true in every story. But um, one of the things that I feel is so fortunate, it, this book released right in the pandemic, it's about loneliness. And loneliness, I felt previously... I thought it meant maybe, you know, social loneliness, but actually loneliness is not just social loneliness, not being able to be part of community, but it's also about, you know, what we keep private. So I realized looking back, a lot of the things that I felt were private between God and me, those are the things that kept me lonely. Because even though I was active in ministry, even though I was very active in leading communities of faith and fellowship groups and Bible study groups, there are things about my life back at home that I kept private. And I learned, you know, through this journey, God took me, God was saying, Bonnie, that's actually loneliness. You're alone. You're not sharing these parts of yourself that you've just kind of put away because you thought, oh, you know, these aren't things that you should talk about because they're in the past. So loneliness for me is hiding. That's how I experienced loneliness. I didn't know it at the time because I, I, I've always, you know, love being with people. But, you know, when you, when I started to experience anxiety and depression, and I didn't understand why, because, you know, I have a lot of friends and I love people. I love God. I realized learning as these memories were being coming back to me. 
I realized loneliness is really hiding parts of yourself, mm. stories that you think nobody else would be interested in, or because they're in your past, you know, I kept them away from myself, didn't see any value in them. Yeah, I think uh, for me personally, um, I think shame produces a sense of loneliness, that internal shame that nobody ever sees because externally most of us try to put on that great facade of who we are and what we experience and of course you know I, i'm social when i need to be but i also enjoy uh a sense of just me um you know and growing up uh i remember experiencing a great deal of loneliness even though uh i came from a, a great family with two brothers who we played often together a great set of friends i was involved in athletics and theater and arts and um but there was this kind of ubiquitous cloud i remember experiencing between high school and college and you know through conversations and coaching and things recognizing that what i was experiencing was a sense of loneliness that came out of a, a personal shame of things i didn't like about myself or things I felt like I had to be to other people. Um, and that is, it's something that it's hard to explain to others, um, but you, you know, you experience it. Um, even again, even if things seem so great on the outside, internally, um, you feel like you're in a dark, quiet, lonely space. Yeah. Oh, I love how you put words to that experience, you know, cause immediately, I'm also in that same place. And because you've talked about it, I feel more known and I feel less alone because kind of just defining what that space is. Yeah, it's true. I'm, I mean, in growing up because my mother, um, I grew up with a single mom and not very different from a lot of people in my generation, but, you know, going to church, that was the very place that I felt belonging but yeah, it's also the place where, because I felt belonging, I didn't want to share all the things that were going on in my home because I didn't want people to then think I was different. So it's, it's almost like the place where I found the most belonging, you know, was also the place where, okay, I want to only bring the best. I only want to bring the best of myself. Um, and so that, that space you describe where, okay, at home, when I do feel lonely and I'm struggling with my own thoughts, you know, that part. I didn't think was my best self. So I didn't bring that part of myself, you know, to church, to people that, you know, I was very close with, but yet, you know, I didn't really felt like there was any value to talking about those kind of thoughts. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think what's helpful and for people reading books like yours is, to recognize that most of us are faking it until we make it. <laughs> most of us are dealing with that in our life, but not every one of us is dealing with it on the particular level that sometimes it can be emotionally and spiritually and psychologically crippling. Um, there's a powerful quote from the book. Um, you wrote, Jesus drinks the bitter cup of loneliness. So our brokenness is made beautiful because he loves us in our lonely hour of need. He loves us in the moments that once broke us, so we don't have to hold on to the vows we once made long ago to rely on ourselves and no one else. We can let go of the vows that stay strong, but lonely because Jesus folds his hands into ours instead. Theologically, walk us through um, Jesus being with us in our time of suffering and need, but, but also practically, how have you experienced this? Well, it's interesting because, you know, previously um, when I didn't experience loneliness, whenever I uh, read or thought about the Garden of Gethsemane, I immediately focused on not my will, but your will be done. I mean, that was just always my immediate focus is how God chose, Jesus chose the Heavenly Father's will. But yet there's just so much that I, God started drawing me to that passage when I did feel the intense loneliness, Jesus was showing me um, that in that moment, he wanted to bring, you know, three of his closest confidants and friends into that space. He needed somebody to stay with him. And in fact, during that moment, 
you know, we see that scriptures tell us that he fell on his face and he was crying. And it was just so intense that it seems like, you know, sweat was pouring like blood out of him. And anybody that has had a panic attack, you know, once I had my first panic attack, that scripture just came alive for me. Like, you know, was Jesus having a panic attack? You know, it just, it made me have that dialogue with Jesus. Like, oh my gosh, he understands that moment. And in fact, you know, his closest friends fell asleep. So suddenly like that whole experience, the Holy Spirit allowed that scripture to come alive for me that I realized Jesus was so lonely at his, you know, darkest need. So previously, like I said, I was focusing more on what Jesus did, his action, and yet the Holy Spirit wanted me and drew me to dwell on his loneliness. And that was such a comfort to me. And that's when I realized I can let go of that vow to be strong because, you know, even Jesus said, you know, is there any other way for this cup to be taken from me? And I just kind of felt the Holy Spirit was echoing my, my question. Like, is there any other way? Like, why does it have to be this way? And even that question I felt is just like, it's, it, it reflects the desperate cry of the lonely. Why? Why does it have to be this way? And so in that moment, I realized that God's action first is to comfort. I just suddenly started crying because, you know, I, I tried so hard to deal with my loneliness and trying to understand it. You know, Andy, I tried to, you know, focus myself on what to do and try to kind of move past it. And yet the Holy Spirit, wow. Like once I received that comfort and seeing that Jesus was lonely, I just started crying and I wasn't able to ever really cry. I don't know if that sounds weird, but you know, I was just so good at, at kind of trying to understand it so that I can move past it. I never really cried. And yet when that moment, you know, that scripture opened up and I really felt Jesus was with me. He was there kind of like with me on that cry. He understand what it's like to ask that question. That's when I was able to cry. It's kind of like, you know, um, I have two boys. Um, they're now older. They're teenagers. They are now, um, I always have to think, <laughs> they're 13 and 16. But when they were little, you know, sometimes when you take them out and you're, they're trying to learn to bike, they'll fall down. And if there's other strangers around, they'll, you know, try to help, you know, my son, like, oh, are you okay? You know, my son wouldn't, you know, be kind of strong and not cry. And I would come over and run over and I'm like, oh, Josh, are you okay, honey? And immediately he runs into my arms and he just bawls, right? He just starts crying. It's because he feels safe. That's when he cries. And so that was what I felt was the arms of Jesus saying like, Bonnie, you're safe it's okay. So it was in that moment, I realized comfort is so important. So all those years of kind of studying God's word, suddenly this word comfort ignited. It's like, I just think of like a match, a match just suddenly ignites. And suddenly I was like, okay, this is what I need. And I started searching the scriptures to learn about comfort. And suddenly, you know, like for instance, there's a passage is so powerful, you know, God, the God of comfort comforts, you know, we can comfort others with the comfort we first received ourselves. And I was a missionary in my twenties and I've just always loved God's people. And I love telling people about, you know, his word, but yet suddenly I, I noticed a part of scripture that I never noticed before. It says with the comfort we first re received ourselves. And I've always focused on comforting others like that. I mean, I just, I just have so much joy when I feel like I'm able to be there for others. And suddenly I noticed God was saying, wait, it says, receive the comfort yourself first. Mm. So then I said, okay, well, I don't even know what that means. Like, how do I do that? So it started me on this journey, which has now become my ministry 10 years later um, of soul care. So I have a podcast now, which is called Breathe, the Stressless Podcast. But it's amazing. It came out of that moment, Andy, 
where I realized I don't even know what that means. What does it mean for me to receive comfort? That's a big question mark because that's not been part of my vocabulary at all since I was a little girl. Let's maybe go a little deeper there. This is an honest book. One of the most honest aspects of the book is your relationship with your mother, which you wrote. When I was a little girl, all I wanted to do was to make my mom proud, to make her happy. She was the sun and my heart orbited around her. But God wasn't opening my heart to see that my mother, I, the mother I wanted, the mother I tried to love into being didn't exist. It was a time to accept the reality of a toxic mother I had. I wonder if you'll take us a little deeper into the impact um, our theological understanding of the world, ourselves, and God comes out of what we experience from what can be, for some people, a fraught relationship with their parents. Um, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, my whole life growing up in the church, I started going to church when I was eight years old, when my parents divorced, and my mother... Um, she is from Hong Kong and she didn't speak any English. My mom was 17 years old when she had me. So one of the first things that, you know, I see God orchestrated was um, we went to church because at that time I grew up in the seventies, there weren't very many Chinese Americans. And so where we went is church because that's where people spoke Chinese. So I feel like my mom went there first, more like just to get connected to, um, you know, people that spoke Chinese. And so since growing up in the church, it's always been heavenly father, right? God is our heavenly father. But for me, it was always just like a blank, like, you know, a blank profile, you know, like in your phone, you have profile pics for people in your you know, um, you know, that you have on your phone that you saved your address book. And sometimes if you don't have a picture of someone, it's just like a blank profile pic, right? So God, the heavenly father has always been that blank profile pic because my dad left, you know, when I was seven. So I never really felt like my mom issues would affect the way I related to God. It's always like, oh, I have a missing father. It was more, that was more of my go-to, you know, Andy, like, okay, I don't, I don't know what heavenly father is. So I just relate it mainly to Jesus, but, um, actually it turns out that the way our moms treat us, which we don't talk about much, I feel in the church, it's easier to talk about a father wound. Okay. My father was not loving. My father was missing. My father was emotionally not there or, you know, fill in the blank. That is much easier. I felt to talk about in church, but I couldn't talk about it because I never even saw my father. And he never came back for me. He just disappeared from my life. But my mother, that was the person who was causing me pain in my life. This was the parent who um, was emotionally and verbally abusive towards me. And that, that sense of shame you talked about, Andy, that's how I felt in the way my mom spoke to me or treated me. But I could never talk about it. So I didn't know at the time growing up that those are the things that cause us shame are the things we don't talk about. In my case, it was my mother. My mother was very unloving. When my father left, um, you know, I just woke up and there was suitcases next to the door. And I was so confused because I woke up, they're arguing, he's leaving. I have no idea what's happening. And, um, you know, he sped off the last memory I had of my father was he sped off in his olive green Nova, you know, screeching out the driveway. And, um, you know, I was like, what's happening? Where's Baba going? And my mom said, here, come here, sit down. She started pulling photos out of, you know, our, our TV, uh, our coffee table console. And she gave me a pair of scissors and started cutting up photos of my father and asked me to cut them up as well. And I just wanted to save one of them. I tried to put them under, you know, right behind me to save one. She caught me and she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm not in this photo. You're not in this photo. Can I just keep just one? And um, she just said, oh, why? You know, do you want to stay with him? Okay, fine. You know, she started dragging me across the room to, you know, pretend call. But at the time I thought it was new. She was going to call my father and said, go pack your bags. You're leaving. You want to go live with him? Go ahead. Now that moment for me, it's amazing how later as I learned more about that moment, 
it represented how I felt in my, you know, relationship with God. I mean, at the time I didn't know it, Andy, you know what I mean? But it was almost like, if I don't have anything good to bring to God, just stay quiet. Cause that's the moment I did. I suddenly stopped crying. I told my mom, no, no, I, I, I won't ask any questions. I'll be fine. You know, I just wiped my tears away and I just stopped crying. And I feel like that is kind of, I didn't know it, but I kind of internalized that as like, you know, God, I don't want to bring him anything broken. I don't want to bring anything that will cause him to feel like this is not good. I just want to just bring him like my unbroken self, you know, no crying, just ready to serve. So that is an example where, you know, it wasn't until that secret was exposed that, you know what, my mom is very abusive. And I told that the first time as an adult to, you know, the pastors that I was serving with. And it was like, that was just the scariest time in my life. because so I was already in my thirties, but it was only then that I realized, oh, wow. You know, the healing journey that got put me on the thing I kept secret. The most shameful thing I felt was that my mom was abusing me, even as an This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around the world. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your ministry. CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. What ways has your relationship with your mother impacted the way you step into your identity as a parent and also in the way that, you know, you try to cultivate an understanding of God with your own children? You know, at the time when I started having um, these panic attacks, um, it was actually um, 10 years after I told um, the pastor I was serving under, I was leading a 30 singles ministry at the time. And um, I mean, it was just really a blossoming ministry um, in the 30s singles. There wasn't that much options. I'm here in Silicon Valley, but even in Silicon Valley, there were a lot of like 20 something ministries, but not so many 30 something ministries. And so it was just growing like within a you know, a few months, there were like over a hundred people coming. And the reason why I point this out is because it was so hard for me to tell the pastor that I was serving under that was overseeing the ministry with me, that my mother, everything that was going on in my home was so abusive. But as I realized, as you know, my pastor's response to me was so different from what I thought, because she started sharing her stories of her family growing up. And then she said, we need to talk to Doug, you know, the senior pastor. 
I want you to hear about his stories. Suddenly that was no longer shame because, oh my gosh, there's many stories of people being in, having had once been in toxic relationships. Then that freed me. I didn't know, but 10 years later, after I became a mom to, you know, my second child, because I got married later, you know, Andy, I had children later. I said, now I know through my spiritual family, there is no need to keep secrets. So with my children now, I mean, since I became a mom, I am so open with my children. I share my stories with them. Previously, I would have just kept them hidden because I would have felt, look, I don't want them to feel ashamed of my past. So I'm starting new. I named my children Josh and Caleb because I wanted to remind myself I'm starting a new legacy of faith. I'm starting a new life. And in this new legacy of faith, there's going to be different family code. The family code I grew up with is was my old family code was if you have nothing good to say keep quiet and i as i shared you know i learned that's how it colored my relationship with god but my new family code you know through sharing the secret with interestingly enough it was my pastors that i was serving ministry with was no there is no thing to be ashamed of there's no need for secrets then I realized this is the new family code. This is the code of my heavenly father. In his family, there is no need for secrets. And so with my children, this is what, this is what, I love this conversation because like your questions are great. I haven't shared this on any of the, you know, opportunities of, you know, being on different interviews. But um, Andy, I love your question because this gets to why I went on this journey to find my father when I had my second child, Caleb, because I realized for me to lean into this new family code that God has given me, I need to find out where my father is. I need to find out so that I can tell my children, good, bad, or ugly, um, this is where their grandpa came from. This is what happened. So that's what started me on the journey to find my father. Where is he? Why did he leave me? Why did he never come back for me? And I did that because I wanted to give my children a legacy of faith. And that legacy of faith isn't erasing the past, the parts that are broken or ugly. It's, it's sharing, opening up so that they can be part of this story where God is the redeemer. God is the one that allows us to run to him. God is our refuge, you know? So, so this is what is the new way I talk to my, uh, share with my children. I share with them the stories that, you know, I, I would never maybe have felt like I was given permission to share. And it's interesting because, um, as when I, this book first released, I had a, uh, online book club. There were, um, a thousand people that were on this online book club to read Sweet Like Jasmine. And the first question I had asked them when we first got together, I said, if you could go back in time and ask your mother or father a question, what would that be? Oh my goodness. You know, like everybody wanted to know so many things about their parents' stories. Some of them had passed away. So they said they were sad. They would never be able to ask them. But I would say, you know, I don't have a actual math percentage, but I would say like, you know, over 75%, everybody want to know who was my mother or father before they became a mom or dad. Everybody wanted to know more about their parent. And so that's part of the driving force of also wanting to write this book because I want people, this book wasn't just about me, but it's, it's sharing stories that are key moments in our lives that I hope as people read this book, they will share their own stories with each other because I had gone to church for decades, okay? Yet nobody knew my stories from, you know, these key moments in my life, not just my childhood, but, you know, as a teenager in my 20s, um, nobody knew these stories. And so I was like, oh my goodness, how important is, is it? You know, scriptures say that you are a living letter of Christ, you know, not written on stone, but on, you know, 
living heart. Your heart is alive. It's organic. It's not stone. It's not the law. It's not Old Testament of what we do, what we don't do. Not just what we know, but what we've lived. So you kind of got me on a passionate <laughs> touch point here. One of the unique facets of the book uh, was how you have woven different aspects of Chinese culture, such as book binding and typography and uh, Kintsugi into uh, spiritual reflections. Why specifically was it important for you to give voice to this culture as part of this book? Oh, wow. I love your questions. <laughs> um, you know, I have to say, you know, with a lot of the racial division in our country, I live in California here. And having been born in San Francisco, Chinatown, where, you know, my family life at home, my cultural home was, you know, Chinese. And yet when I stepped through the door, when I went to school, all my experiences were American. It's like, I felt I was half, half, like neither fully Chinese because among the overseas born Chinese community, they didn't consider me Chinese. They said, you're American. But then when I'm with my, you know, American friends at school, you know, I wasn't considered fully American. I'm Chinese. So um, one of the things that I love about being a follower of Christ is that my identity is in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one that unites us. And Ephesians is all about unity. You know, the book of Ephesians especially is about being one spirit, one body. And well, not just Ephesians, but Corinthians as well. And so I just feel like with all the division, I personally, especially somebody who lives with kind of the split identity, or I would say dual identity, like, why are we not talking more about our spiritual identity, focusing on that and just celebrating the different cultural diversity that God is showing up in every nation? You know, you think of Pentecost, right? Acts when the Holy Spirit first embodied, you know, us as believers, the apostles, everybody spoke in different tongues, but it was the same spirit. So I feel like we need to be able to enjoy and see God in every culture. Now I'm from an earlier generation. I was kind of alluding to, you know, I grew up in the seventies and, you know, I grew up in a missionary and Alliance church. And so we always focus on missions. Like that was kind of the ultimate, like joy of being a follower of Christ is that we can see Christ and preach Christ in every, every culture, every nation. And I feel like we should be doing that in America. I feel like that is like the most beautiful way to show Christ. So in every chapter, I wanted to share my cultural heritage. I didn't even call it my cultural identity because my, my identity is Christ. I always tell my children, I married um, a Caucasian guy. He is, you know, a mixture of British and German, uh, European. He's from uh, Washington, from a small lumber mill town. So my kids, they even have, you know, a richer diversity because now they're half Chinese and they're half European heritage. And I always tell them, this is your cultural heritage, but your spiritual identity is your true identity. So no matter what's happening in school, however you hear about things, that is just the world's way of trying to understand identity. But don't ever forget that God gave you this um, story you see how mom and dad met, you know, that's where I go into the stories, Andy. And I explained to them, this is how amazing God is. He can take any cultural heritage and he can open up, make different stories. So as you can tell, our home is full of like, we love books ever since they're litter, little, um, we've, I've just always, you know, instilled in them, nurtured a love of books. And I feel like it translates into a love of God's word. So it's not read as just a book of, you know, religious do's and don'ts, but they can relate to it. Um, so where was I? Yes. So what I'm trying to say is it's so important um, for people to see God's beauty in different cultures. So every chapter I wanted to put a cultural vignette and how God shows up 
like in book binding, you know, like this was one of the first things the Chinese people invented was book binding and how, you know, it was first like butterfly book binding where it opens up, it's just on the side and we can see when we open up our lives, you know, we can just see how God is read in every chapter or kintsugi is, you know, the art of um, taking broken pottery and putting gold in order to make the pottery whole again. And yet it's accentuated. The brokenness through the gold is celebrated and accentuated, not hidden. So every chapter, I just want to shine the light of God in the beautiful metaphors. Because we see that in scripture, God says in Psalms, we look at his creation and we can see that he is a creator. We can celebrate him over and over again. It's through things that God created. And so through creativity, that is the imprint of God, his image in each of us, we can see through the culture, we can see different cultures, God's imprint. And so I just really wanted to show that. And I think that's one of the neat things that even in my children, as I'm trying to share with them, you know, my Chinese heritage, there's so much, you know, political division. There's so many things going on. I just want them to see, hey, don't just look at the politics, look at God in the culture. And I think that's how we can bridge and get past a lot of, you know, the not fall into the trap of, of looking into the division of the politics, especially here. I'm an American and, you know, where we are politically with China. So I try to help the kids. There's going to be political conversations you're going to have to navigate in school, but remember to see God in people beyond the politics. So that, that's kind of why I felt it was so important to put in these cultural vignettes. So because my readers, um, actually, most of them are not Chinese, you know, in the Christian publishing industry, um, you know, they're not marketing towards diversity right now, at least, um, you know, the, the, the audience is not Asian. So I, I want to be able to share vignettes of how God shows up in the Asian Chinese culture. And hopefully through sharing that, because everybody, it's a common denominator is art because God's, God's imprint is as a creator. Then hopefully as people meet Chinese people or think of them, they'll remember, okay, there is the politics side, but after reading Bonnie's book, I also know, wow, I see God showing up in the Chinese culture as well as, his, as people that he created. Thank you for asking that question, Andy. Nobody's asked me that. And I've not shared this before as to why I was motivated to put these cultural vignettes in. And it has, because I know that our listeners are really, you know, people that are overseeing other people in ministry. And also we're, we're wrestling with all these issues of race and ethnicity. I am just so thankful you're giving me this opportunity to talk about it. Um, so thank you, Andy. Well, talk to us about Jasmine. Why is it vital for what you're trying to convey through this book? With, of are course, you, without giving the ending away. Are you talking about the book, Jasmine, or the flower, Jasmine, or the tea, Jasmine? Yeah. The, the way that you've teased it throughout uh, the book and your, your use of it. And, um, you know, obviously the, the flower is significant in, in the writing of the book. Um, so whichever one of those you want to pick up on. Okay. Well, I am just so having so much fun because I don't know, if, you know, your, your listeners know, but um, it's just so significant that you've read the book, you've teased out these questions and it's just, it's so affirming to me because I was telling you, Andy, that it's been 10 years since, you know, God's put this book on my hand and my heart and finally God's opened the door of opportunity. Um, so I really appreciate your just your attention and your attentiveness to the questions. I'm just so grateful for that. Um, so Jasmine, it's so fun as you know, all of us, I know our audience, we're in, many of us are into teaching. We love words, we love God's word. And so the metaphors are just really, really special. I feel just through studying God's word, um, I love metaphors. So this metaphor of Jasmine flower is something that's very unique to um, the Chinese culture. The Jasmine song is one of the most listened to song um, 
you know, from China and listeners can go, you know, you can look it up on YouTube, but it's, it's just a beautiful melody. And, um, you know, so much of Psalms also talks about, you know, David's time in the wilderness. And yet he always says, you are giving me a new song. And I just really like identified with that during these times that were hard for me when I was going through depression and anxiety was actually a journey of healing for me because I was finally confronting all these memories and stories as God was rewriting my story. And so the Jasmine song was a song that I heard um, when I was growing up in Chinatown. And so I decided, you know, that's a great metaphor that I want to weave through this book to take the reader through the different stories in his or her life and see that God's melody is strewn throughout. There's a new song here. Also, Jasmine tea is also one of the most um, popular Chinese teas and Jasmine tea is a really rich, fragrant um, black tea that is when it's dried, the buds are really, really tight really, really tight when it's dried. But when you put that tea in hot water, it starts to open up and soften. And I feel like that, you know, immediately my mind went to Ezekiel, the passage where there's dry bones in the valley, the valley of dry bones. And yet God says, look, behold, you know, I'm going to put sinew and muscle and bring life back. I think a lot of us feel that way. We're just dried. <laughs> you know, we don't, let others know because we're also leaning on loving God with our heart, mind, and soul. You know, we love God with our heart. That's the seed of devotion and uh, where we are, you know, our commitment, our devotion to God, our heart. We love God with our mind. We study his word and we, we obey him and we follow him. But the soul, you know, the soul is where we're most, um, I feel the vulnerable parts of the true parts of who God made us. That's the personality. That's the kind of the summation of all our experiences, the valleys, as well as the mountaintops. And so I felt like sweet, like Jasmine, it's saying, you know, when we open up, that's when the fragrance of Christ starts to, you know, arise. And so I feel like that metaphor of our lives opening up and it's just a wonderful opportunity during the pandemic for us to be able to provide that space of comfort, provide that space of refuge. And so I'm just hoping that, you know, even for this book, as people read it, they realize for us as ministry leaders, one of the most powerful things we can offer right now is a place, a space of comfort, a place of refuge allowing people to have that opening up experience. And that can only come through uh, that warmth, that warmth of our faith and being like Jesus, like that lonely Jesus. I think that's what draws people to Jesus is that he was able to say, those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me for I will give you rest, rest for your souls, not rest for your mind, not rest for your heart rest for your soul. So that is why I chose this, you know, sweet like Jasmine. It's interesting when, you know, scriptures say that we are fragrance of Christ, but it also says, you know, we're going from death to life, you know? So that, that is really, I feel like the release of fragrance. And you see that in Jesus, he says, I'm an offering poured out. You know, we have these metaphors of Mary, also breaking perfume, you know, this, this whole concept, wow, suddenly this whole scriptures will start opening up. And so we have a golden moment right now for me, that's my personal, um, at least my personal calling in ministry right now, while everybody else is focused on division and splicing and dissecting all these different matters. I feel Jesus is quietly whispering come to me, those who are very and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I feel like this is what we're seeing in the culture. Where are people going to go for rest? Where are people going to go for comfort? Where are people going to go for safety? So this is what people are longing for. And so, you know, this could be even another, you know, among my friends and I, this is what we talk about. We say, how can we be Christ right now in this flashpoint moment. 
everything is about mental health right now. It's about, you know, brain fog. It's about depression and anxiety and stress. And this is the very reason, like, why Jesus has chosen to live in us. Each of our, each of us is that, you know, jars of clay, the tremendous treasure. So, but it's an opening up. It's not in closing up and just talking about, you know, the mountaintop experiences. It's, it's, it's the valley experiences. Our guest is Bonnie Gray. The book is Sweet Like Jasmine. If you want to stay connected with Bonnie, visit her website, thebonniegray.com. Bonnie, thank you for making the time to have this conversation. Um, but more importantly, thank you for reminding us that we are like Jasmine, bringing beauty and sweetness wherever we go. Thank you, Andy. Before we wrap up our episode, we need to tell you about one more of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. BSK is excited to once again be sponsoring CBF's upcoming General Assembly in Dallas, Texas. Stop by our booth in the exhibit hall. Join us as we honor our 2022 Addie David Award recipient at Baptist Women in Ministries Gathering or attend the workshop being led by Reverend Erica Whitaker, BSK's Associate Director for Institute for Black Studies. We'd love to connect with you at this special event. Learn more about BSK at bsk.edu. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support. 